an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. And that is the word of the Lord. Amen. So as we're following this story, it started, it's starting to pick up here. Um, and when we look at the figure, the biblical figure of Moses, it's, uh, Moses is arguably the most recognizable biblical figure of all time, um, obviously for the Christian outside of Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, in Judaism, uh, where they do not believe that Christ is the Savior, uh, Moses is counted as the father of all prophets. Um, it's God, to them it's God, and then it's, it's Moses. But when we read his writings, because Moses is considered the author of Exodus, Genesis and Exodus, um, also Leviticus as well, and Deuteronomy, but when we read his writings, um, believe it or not, he is not the main character of the letters that he wrote. In fact, when we look at his life and when we look at his ministry, those things, they point us to someone greater than he. If you're careful to pay attention, uh, his character points us to Christ in many ways. And he points us to Christ um, as he is the example of the true deliverer of the nation of Israel. And I mean, as he points us to Christ, and we're speaking about Christ, uh, instead of Moses being the true deliverer, it is really Christ who is the true deliverer of the nation of Israel. But even more so, Christ is the deliverer of all of God's people. And when we look at this, it's not uncommon to see this in the Bible because the same is true for most biblical heroes. They are there, their lives are there to point us to someone greater than they are. They are there to point us to Christ so that we can see Christ and we can acknowledge him and what he does for us and how blessed we are because uh, we are in him. So when we see these biblical characters, sometimes... Um, there is a temptation to give them honor, to give them glory. And in some religions, you see that happen where they are put on a pedestal and not God. But for us as Christians, we must know that uh, there is only but one God. And there are many vessels. In fact, we are vessels as Moses was a vessel. God works through many people. And these biblical heroes, it's not that they deserve the, the major credit, but rather um, they point us to someone else who does, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So they themselves do not deserve our praise, but they, they point us to the one who does. And today, as we think about that, today uh, we see Moses, and we see him at one of 
the high, one of his highest points, and also we see him at one of his lowest points. And um, I want to look at both sides. I want to look at both sides, the high point and the low point, uh, to see how Moses points us, first of all, to the nature of Christ, and then how he points us to our need for Christ. So our sermon summary today is this. Moses shows us the way in which we should be like Christ and the need that we all have for Christ. Let me say that again because it's, it's important. This is, this is what the sermon is about so, so that you won't lose your place or get confused about anything. Uh, this is where we start. Moses shows us the way in which we should be like Christ and the need that we all have for Christ. He, he does that in his high point and in his low point. First of all, I want to talk about his high point. I, I want to talk about what he uh, did good and how that leads to us uh, to recognize and to know that we all have an obligation to do what is right. We all have an obligation uh, to do what is right, to follow truth, and to be obedient to God's word. And we see this in the way that Moses defends the Hebrews against injustice. You see, our passage tells us that young Moses, now we know he's 40 years old. We don't get that from this passage, but it's so wonderful how the New Testament interacts with the Old Testament. If we go to Acts chapter 7, verse 23, there is a, a detail there that tells us that Moses was 40 years old at this point. So Moses being 40 years old, he goes out and he goes out for a specific reason. He goes out to survey the burdens of his people. In other words, he goes out to see the sufferings of his people. And it's very specific. The scripture is very specific about that, that that's the reason why he's going out. He's looking at the burdens of his people. He's looking at the, the sufferings of his people. And I want to stop right there and just acknowledge something, because last week we ended our sermon with baby Moses in the river and being rescued. And we talked about how baby Moses at this point, how, uh, you know, how the providence of God took care of him as a baby when he was completely helpless. And I, I want to recognize that here Moses is 40 years old. He's doing well. In fact, he is doing really, really well. And here we can appreciate the providence of God now seeing Moses as an, ad as an adult after we've already seen him and how vulnerable he was in that basket on the water. And we talk about the providence of God and how God takes care of us and how God cares for us like no one, no one else does. We, we have to stop and we have to praise God here because now we see a, a, a man full grown. Um, God knows what he's going to do with him. And no one can stop that. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I hope that gives you some courage and some encouragement whenever you look at your own kids and you wonder, maybe you look at your kids and you wonder how they're going to, you know, what, what would happen if something would happen to you? How would they make it? Or even you're trying to imagine your kids as adults. And you're saying, oh, you know, it just, I don't know how that's going to work out. We know that the Lord is sovereign and we know that in his providence, he cares for all his children. Right. He has uh, he has directed our steps and uh, he knows how to care for us like no one else does. So I just wanted to pause there and, and just for us to recognize that, because it's amazing to see Moses at 40 years old after all this time where he's at. 
and it's all due to the providence of God, the power of God. You see, God's providence had placed Moses as a member of the household of Pharaoh. Now, that means that Moses was able to enjoy the, the wealth of Pharaoh, the education of Pharaoh, and also the power of Pharaoh's rule. But it's also wonderful to see how God was moving in the heart of Moses. Because when we look at our passage, it appears that even though Moses had everything, and when I say everything, I exaggerate that. I hope you picked that up in my, my physical uh, uh, display there. He had everything, meaning, again, we go back to what he had enjoyed with Pharaoh. He enjoyed wealth, education, and power. Many people would say, hey, man, if you have those things, then you are a successful person. The Christian would say, you can have all those things and not be successful. Because all we need is Christ to be truly successful. But from a worldly perspective, if we were to look at his life, he had everything. He had wealth, education. He had power. And even though he had those things, even though he had everything, it appears he longed to see the justice of his people. And that is extremely wonderful. Because, again, we can see God working in his heart, not being satisfied with what he had, but rather longing for something that was more important. You see, Moses, Moses had made a decision to be on the side of what is right rather than what was comfortable. He made a decision to be on the side of what was right rather than what was easy. And that is, that is, that is good to see. In fact, Hebrews 11 gives us better insight about what was going through Moses' mind at the time. Uh, I'll tell you what, you can put your place there in Exodus. We're going to come right back to it. But go to Hebrews 11, and I want us to look at verses 24 and 25. Again, this is another uh, area where the New Testament sheds light on some details of what is not made known in Exodus chapter 2. So it's Hebrews 11, verses 24 to 25. And it says this, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You see, when it comes to us, when it comes to the Christian, sooner or later we are in Moses' shoes. We must all make a choice between what is right and what is convenient. We must all make a choice between what is right and what is easy. And if we are going to be obedient to the word of God, we must always side with truth. We must always side with what is right. Obviously, when we don't, we sin against God. So it is at this point that I would like to point out that we see Moses as a Christ-like figure. In the fact that he had everything, 
but he cared more for his people rather than enjoying the privileges that he had. It is here that Moses shows us the way in which we should be like Christ. Because we are, we, are we are told that we are to be like Christ. That we, we are also told in the Bible that we are being conformed into the image of Christ. That is our sanctification process. As we live, he increases and we decrease. That is the purpose of our Christian growth. So, so here it's wonderful to see Moses pointing us to Christ and he is showing us in which way we should be like him. Philippians 2 verses 6 through 8, they say this about Christ. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we see, we see how Moses is a Christ-like figure, again, where he cared about more about the people in their situation rather than his riches and his glory and everything that God had given him. Christ, he cared more about us than what he had. And he emptied himself, the Bible said. He took on flesh. And he did this perfectly. He was obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When we look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, we see that Christ displayed perfect humility, perfect obedience in putting on flesh, in living in perfect obedience to God's word and dying on the cross for our sins. As Christians, we must follow Christ in practicing humility and obedience. And this is a great reminder for us today as we read about Moses. It's a great reminder. In that same uh, chapter of Philippians, after, before it talks about what Christ did, Paul challenges the Christians to be like Christ. And he says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Again, we're not here praising Moses because he is not our savior. But we are praising who he is pointing us to. We are to be Christ-like. We are to be concerned about what God is concerned about. We are to love what he loves and we are to hate what he hates. It's admirable to see Moses' concern about his people. So much so that he did not want to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but rather he chose to do something 
for the nation of Israel and to help them. I would like to us for it to for us to think about this point, and I would like to add that we need to be Christ-like in every stage and facet of life. It's not it's not just in one place. It's not just here when you come to this building uh, to meet together. It's not just a, around uh, church people, so to speak. We need to be like Christ in every stage of life. And that, that, that means it doesn't matter, you know, if you have come to Saving Faith and you're eight years old and you've, you've, you've been uh, in Christ for 80 years old, we never stop growing as Christians. We never stop depending on him. In one way or another, we never stop serving him. I know as we get older, we have physical limitations. There's things that we don't, that we can't do, but there's still a lot of things that we can do. Our journey does not end until he takes us home. I'm reminded about that even more whenever I do a funeral. This week, we laid Daniel... Uh, brother Daniel to rest and I talked to the family a lot about how God works in us and how God secures us and he takes us home and it just reminds me that my work your work our work is not done it's not done until the Lord takes us home while we're here there is much work to be done there's much growth to be had we need to be concerned about what the Lord is concerned about. So it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, what facet of life you're in. We need to strive for unity, as Philippians 2 says. We need to strive in humility or for humility as Christ displayed for us. We need to strive for obedience as Christ gave us the perfect example of that. And we need to strive for unity for humility, for obedience in every facet of life, in our family life. We need to do that. We need to do that within our churches. We need to do that within our workplaces. We need to do that wherever we go. You see, every member, every member needs to do that. With every opportunity they have. And listen, when we fall short, we don't stop. We ask for forgiveness, we repent, and we continue on. We must always look to do what is right, even when it means we're going to lose everything or could lose everything. Christ gives us a perfect example of that. And as we look at this passage, Moses reminds us of Christ. But that's where it stops. As I said, Moses does two things for us in this passage. First of all, uh, he points us to who we should be like when it comes to Christ. But then he also points us to the need that we all have for Christ. Because now we're going to talk about his lowest point. 
And this brings us to the topic that man has a natural instinct to do what is wrong. That's our problem. We are, to, we are told to do what is right, but there is a natural instinct in us to do what is wrong. That's why we need God's help. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. That happens whenever we come to believe, but yet we still have remnant sin to deal with. It's amazing to see how Moses begins his ministry in sin. Usually that's not the way things are supposed to happen. It's not supposed to start that way. You see Moses at 40 years old. He's like, he's, he's a young man. And I say that because I'm 40 years old. But he's, he's a young man. He has his life full ahead of him. And, and you, you see, we can read and we can see how, man, Moses is about to, he's about to take off, as we would say. And, and usually in a movie or in a story, everything just falls into place. And then this, this person comes in and, and, and he does everything the right way. But not here. Moses begins his ministry in sin. And sadly, but truthfully, the Bible shows us that although Moses had good intentions in being concerned for his people, he fell severely short in the method he chose to bring about their justice. We also have to recognize that. The Bible points out that Moses saw the injustice. He saw the Egyptian beating a Hebrew and that he reacted. And we should react to somebody, somebody be, uh, you know, getting beaten, but he reacted with unbridled anger. And the Bible says in verse 12, uh, Exodus 2, verse 12, that he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian, meaning he killed him. And notice the intent. It wasn't like, you know, a, a crime of, of passion, as they so, so to speak, sometimes where you this this anger comes upon you and takes over you and you just do it. Rather, it was. Let me see, nobody over there, nobody over there. I'm going to take him out. And he does it. He takes him out. And even to make matters worse. He tried to cover up his crime by trying to bury the Egyptian in the sand. That's what it means by he hit him. You read that and you're like, okay, well, but no, he, he dug a hole. He put his body in it and he tried to cover him up. So we see that Moses begins his earthly ministry with premeditated murder and a cover up. See, his Christ-likeness didn't go very far. And neither does ours. No matter how much we try to give ourselves credit, it doesn't go very far. And that points us to the need that we have for Christ. Romans 3, 22 and 23 says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, this is the reason why we do not praise Moses. You see, there's no doubt that God used Moses in a mighty way. To see the things that he saw, to hear the things that he heard. 
And to do the things that he did must have been amazing. I couldn't imagine. Amazing. Most of us would look at his life and we would say, wow, to be used by God in that way is amazing. But listen, Moses is not different than you and I. And that he was merely the vessel in which God was using to do all these wonderful works. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And he prepared these good works beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, there is a big glaring fact that we cannot let slip away. We cannot let it slip by. And the fact is, when we speak about Moses, and when we speak about any other biblical character for that matter, biblical hero for that matter, we need to recognize that Moses and they needed someone to save them from their sins before they could become the hero that they are made out to be in Scripture. They, in other words, they needed a Savior. Because they were sinful like you and I. They made mistakes like you and I. And I love how brutally honest the Bible is about the flaws of biblical heroes. Their lives are laid bare before us and we see their mistakes. We see the terrible things that they did. We see how they fall short of God's glory. And when we see that, we should be able to put ourselves along with them and say, man, I'm just like them. But the other part is that we also see God's forgiveness in their life. We see his mercy present. We see his grace. And we see his power working in them to accomplish his will. And we can also place ourselves alongside of them and say, thank God I'm just like that too. Because we, like them, we make mistakes we, like them, are not perfect. We, like them, sometimes we seek out sin. We, like them, we are comfortable in our sin sometimes. But we cannot stay there. We are told to choose what is right, to do what is right. We are told to follow after Christ. And we must know that when we do fall short, that there is forgiveness available to us. There is mercy. Because Christ died for us. But we must also know that our part is to believe and repent. We cannot forget our part. So yes, Moses needed someone to save him before he could be used by God to save the nation of Israel. He needed a savior, and so do we. See, the reason why the Bible is so 
brutally honest when it comes to the biblical heroes and their sins, I, I believe the reason why is that so we don't place our faith in them instead of God. We can point to them and say, man, yeah, they're, they're human. But we can also see God working in them and say, praise God, he's, he's so wonderful. See, no matter how great our good intentions are, we must always know and we must never forget, rather, that we need to be saved from our sin and we need help to stay away from our sin. And it is in Christ where we receive salvation from the penalty of our sins. And it is in Christ that we get the help we need to walk in obedience to his word. The Bible says that in him we live, we move, and we have our being. It says that in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. That passage is so important. For apart from him, we can do nothing. nothing so we see how Christ is greater and we see how Moses in his failures and also in his victories how he points us to Christ when we look at his victory he points us to Christ in the way that that's the way we should be like Christ in his failures he points us to the need that we have for a savior I'd like to fast forward to the New Testament. Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, and I want to end with this. When we speak about Christ being greater, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. We see Peter, we see James, we see John. They're with Jesus. They're on a mountaintop, or they're on a mountain. I don't know if they're on the very top. But all of a sudden, Jesus is transfigured before them. The Bible says that, he, that his clothes become intensely white. And then all of a sudden, there appeared Moses and Elijah before them. And in response, in response, the disciples said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In other words, what they're saying is, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents and an, an, an act of worship. We're going to make a tent for you. We're going to make the same kind of tent for Moses. And we're going to make the same kind of tent for Elijah. In fact, what they were doing was they were clumping Jesus, Moses, and Elijah together. They were like ecstatic. They were terrified, but they were ecstatic at the same time. Yes, we're going to honor all of you in this way. And then, then the Bible says, after they said that, that a cloud overshadowed them. Tell you what, you know you're in trouble when a cloud just completely overshadows you just like that. <laughs> There's some trouble coming. A cloud overshadowed them. You know you're in trouble when a voice comes from the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud and it said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. 
in that passage, God cleared it up. Many more he clears it up. But he wanted, he wanted Peter, James, and John to know Christ, Moses, and Elijah, they're not on the same level. Not even close. If you're going to worship anybody, it is the son that you need to worship. So as Christians, you and I, we can see the Bible. We can see these characters. We can even appreciate some of these biblical characters. But all of our praise and all glory and honor goes to Christ. And when we tell people and we teach people, we need to make sure that we point that out. Because that is very, very important. Now, as we end our service today, I want to call the praise and worship team up here, if you, if you would. And I want to give people time to really consider what I said today. And I want an opportunity to, for you to be, uh, to have an opportunity to come and pray with somebody. I want to call the prayer words back up here again.